Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I am Gary Gramling. He is Andy Benoit. We have reached the exciting conclusion of the division preview series. And if you put the mysteries together, if you followed the breadcrumbs and you solved what we were doing, you will know that this is the NFC North preview in this episode. Or if you just read the episode title or description before you started listening. See, no, you've North. you've used that before, you know. It's a, I don't think I have. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I use that. Not in this series of division previews, but you've used it before in the history of our podcasting. In our casual conversations. That's how I start most of my phone calls to people. That's why I have no friends. And you're yeah. the last one, and you're contractually obligated to talk to me. So, I think this NFC North is the most winnable division, most open, wide open division of the, of the eight. Yes, <laughs> which is the optimistic way of, of of putting it. It's wide open. It's also, I, I don't know if I see very good teams here. I don't see very bad teams, but I don't know if I see a particularly good team in this division. But look, before we get going in this, you have a little, you have a little bit of an experiment going on. You're going to try something maybe <laughs> yeah. this season, but but you want to, you want to give a little test run first. Yeah, we need to experiment the experiment first because we've kicked around the idea of doing live um, film sessions on Friday afternoons on on Zoom. People are doing all the Zoom stuff now. So, you know, that'd be a subscription type thing if we're able to do it, but we need to know if we can. So what I'm getting at is if anybody wants to participate in a trial film session on Zoom, it'd be the second one. I did the first one with our couple of the guys that help us on this podcast the other day, but... Um, if anyone wants to participate in that, probably be an hour of, of just watching film via Zoom. Um, email me at andybenoitnfl at gmail.com and we'll get you in there. Because what we need to find out is it, it, how many people can we hold 
How's it going to work dialogue-wise? What do people want when we're watching the film sessions? We're going to learn on the fly, but there'll be a lot of film watched, too, because that we're going to do that. We're going to get through the football part of it, too. So, Andy Benoit NFL at gmail.com. You've got something clever to say. I can see by the, the, no, the look it, on your face on was. our Zoom right now, actually. I was just going to say uh, uh, you might learn something, too, is what you were sort of leading up to. Did I not get to that part? You will learn something. I hope yeah. you learn something. Yeah, yeah. We're, I know I'm going to learn something. If my internet freezes, I'm going to learn how angry it makes me and decide if it's something I still want to do on Friday afternoons. Well, there you go. Let's uh, let's dive into this division now, Andy. The uh, the NFC North. Uh, as always, we will have our projections at the end of the show. These are not the projections of, of the order we're going in here. We are just going in order of last year's standings. And uh, the team that we just disrespected greatly and all their fans are furious and throwing things around their uh, home right now, the Green Bay Packers, because they won 13 games last year. There's a 13-win team that was one game short of the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, look, it's all about the offense with this team. The headlines are always uh, Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, how are they going to make it work? How how is it going to meld here these two different sort of styles? By the end of last season, what, what did you feel about this offense? Where do you think it stood? I think it stood in a better place than it did early in the season. And the concern, just to recap for everybody, this is it's not an audibles conversation. Remember, that was the big story about, uh, I guess it was about May of 2019, mm-hmm. is can Rodgers audible and should he, you know, that's the, the bigger concern is Rodgers' style of play meshing in Matt LaFleur's system because Rodgers is very much an offbeat, often he's an off-schedule type of QB. That's where a lot of his greatness has come from. And LaFleur's system is all about timing and rhythm. So how do you get those two guys to meld together because they're here because they need each other. LaFleur has a chance to, to coach a great QB and, and run one of the best schemes in the NFL in Green Bay. And Green Bay, the, the, their brass felt that they needed to change their offensive approach. So Rodgers and LaFleur, can they meet in the middle? I felt watching the film, Gary, early last season that LaFleur was really accommodating Rodgers a lot. And we didn't see the full system from Green Bay that we maybe expected. And I don't know, you know, we never quite did fully at any point during the length of the season. But what we did see as things went along was a little bit more motion pre-snap. Some of the, the run game became a little more foundational for Green Bay. Even if you're not running the ball 25 or 30 times a game, you still want your run game to have a feel of foundation because the system's built off of play action and all the related concepts that come with it. Rodgers, I thought, became more consistent and sharper in some of those mainstay designs as the season went along. And I do think there's plenty of room for growth still. And it'll be interesting to see how it is here in year two because they haven't really practiced this offseason. I don't know what that's going to mean. We say that at, we say about any team, I guess, at any point. But that's kind of where we're staying with things. It's, it's, it was not a great offense last year. That's, that's the truth of it. Uneven. But it was an improving had, offense. Yeah. yeah, had its moments, but uh, overall, just really an uneven year. And and look, uh, we in the media, this is what we do. We we drum up uh, conflict and controversy, and and then uh, we cash in our millions of dollars. But uh, <laughs> the fact that they drafted Jordan Love that that did that fueled this a little bit. I mean, there, there's no other way of of putting it. This is still a storyline now. Yeah, no question. And. And I don't know why they drafted Jordan Love. I think there are two schools of thought. Is One is they're looking to replace Rodgers sooner than maybe we would have guessed. Um, and that's not going to be this season. But, you know, that's, that's one school of thought. The other school of thought is maybe there's three schools of thought, and they kind of overlap. But the other one is the front office. Brian Gutenkind, the general manager, you know, he comes from a philosophy of, of investing in the quarterback position and drafting them and developing them. That's how the organizations he's been with before, that's how they've done things or the people he's learned under have done it that way. So it's not quite the Bill Walsh thing where you draft a QB every year, but it's along that, it's, it's a cousin of that theory. And then the other thing to maybe consider, Gary, is if you think about Green Bay, well, okay, we were 13-3, and three. we believe we're, we're going to be that good again this year. Uh, if we still believe in Aaron Rodgers, then we're going to be that good. Uh, we think we're going to be that good in 2022 as well, probably 2021, 2022. We're going to be drafting late in the first round is the point. And Jordan Love is one of the most 
talented raw talents that we've seen at QB in quite a while. We don't think we're going to find a quarterback with more talent than Love available to us anytime in the next few years. We don't need him to play right away. We have a bunch of quarterback coaches on our staff. Matt LaFleur's main thing is working on QB mechanics. That's where LaFleur's background is. And that's where Love needs to work. He needs to tidy up a, a lot of his fundamentals. We've got time to work with that guy like that. Usually you don't in the NFL. But in Green Bay, we have time to make it work like that. Yeah, uh, let's let's go to the defensive side of the ball here because that is an area where they they do have continuity. They they probably didn't need a ton of practice here. However, the, the one big change: Blake Martinez out, Christian Kirksey in. Certainly, a. Uh, uh, an upgrade in terms of athleticism. Uh, look, it, it's a young defensive backfield. Uh, the Smiths really proved they could provide a, a pass rush a year ago. I've always liked Mike Pettin. I've always liked his defenses. I think the continuity really plays into that. Uh, and I just kind of wonder, is, is this unit, which was very good last year, are they going to take another step forward this year and, and be sort yeah. of a, a top three, top five unit? It's, I think it's reasonable to think that that's a possibility. Now, you know, there are certain metrics you can look at with this defense, and I guess the the big one is a lot of their best work came against teams that did not have great quarterbacks last year. That's one of the things I've heard discussed. And I think there's probably some validity to that, or at least that's a fair point. I don't – that's an, a point that's easy to get carried away with, though, as well. These, you're still winning NFL games against NFL coaches and quarterbacks and NFL offenses. But this defense – if they take a step forward, yeah, they probably become a top five type of unit. I don't know where we're exactly. Not that it matters a whole lot. What do you know where they ranked exactly last year? I'll look them up uh, as we go what, along. What, what, what do you do? You like total yards? Do you like no? I don't do like you like DVOA. I think it starts. I mean, I like points. The problem is points get you know points allowed, of course. You know, those can be a little bit skewed as well, because if your offense turns a ball over a bunch, you're giving up short fields. You know, Green Bay was ninth in points, 18th in yards. Mm -hmm. Um, Really with, you know, the best one, by the way, the best stat for, I think, a pass defense is passer rating against. And it's hard to find. You don't see it very often on the mainstream stuff. Turnovers are an important stat, but I don't know if they can be representative of what you expect from a defense year to year. Here's what Green Bay is built on, though. High pressure looks. When they do pressure, it's going to be convoluted pressures, uh, disguised, overloads. They'll be aggressive. They're not just going to send a fifth guy and then and then hope it works out. They're going to have a, a, a real attack mindset to the pressure. Um, a lot of man coverage comes behind that by nature. One thing we did see from Mike Pettin, though, is, is they incorporated a lot more cover two last season. And Pettin had never really been a cover two guy before. He had not coached it a whole lot in the NFL, but for a variety of reasons, one that we could probably fill a whole podcast with another day, cover two is a fast-rising tactic in, in the league right now. One of the reasons is because in cover two, you have five underneath defenders. The cornerbacks stay underneath. They don't run with the receivers, so they guard the flats. And then you have the three linebackers in between them that kind of crowd the middle of the field that's two corners three linebackers you got five guys underneath and there are some teams that think that's a good way to guard the sticks on third and short most teams think man-to-man is but some teams are going cover two now uh, because it, it handles those switch releases that you see mostly those stacks and rubs and all the stuff you get from the the, the julian edelman type offensive approaches over the years Anyway, Green Bay has started falling into that category a little bit. So if we have a defense, Gary, that can play man-to-man, which they can. They have a lot of – that's why they draft these DBs in the early rounds. Kevin King, second round. Jari Alexander, who's probably a top-five corner by the end of this season. He's a first-rounder. Darnell Savage, first-rounder. They do that because they play man coverage. But if these guys can also get into cover two and be effective, which they should be more effective this year than last year – that's a very multiple defense. The only other team that's really like that, and it's to a lesser degree, I, that off the top of my head, I want to say would be Pittsburgh, who had probably the best defense in the league last year. Pittsburgh's more zone-oriented than Green Bay, but when you can do a lot of things with your back end of your scheme, that's that's very empowering for a defensive unit. And then you mentioned the Smith brothers. That was, that's a difference maker up front. Gosh, before we move on to the Vikings, I, I just want to say the projections on this show at the end, they're, they're going to be breathtaking. 
Well, a lot of eight. I'm I just going to say eight and eight probably across the board. You know how I feel about <laughs> doing all this projections. Four-way tie at eight and eight. I, every other division, it just felt like, well, okay, this team's probably going to win. Who do you think can make the playoffs type of thing? Uh, yeah, we'll see how what, this goes. What, what, no, wait a minute. What has what just excited you about that to make you say that now? Because we kind of talked about that at the front, and then I just went on a very long tangent about cover two, which I'm eager to go back and listen to and see if I was way off the rails or if it makes sense in the flow of the show. Probably not now that I've called it out like this. But while I was talking, what made you think about, hey, this is a competitive division? We'd already covered that. Uh, no, I, because I'm I'm buying into the Packers more and more. I was so down on the Packers. I wanted to project the Packers to okay. uh, be two and fourteen, and now I think uh, uh, I think they're going fourteen which, and two. Which means that you must be really high on one of these other teams that we're getting to later. Then because Green Bay was thirteen and three in, in first place last year, so it's not if if you are down on the Packers, you might think they're a nine and seven or eight and eight type of team. Who do you think's the eleven and five team then that that is ahead of them? Uh, there's there's a team I pick to go to the Super Bowl every year, mm-hmm. and one year they'll make the playoffs. Yep, we'll get and to we'll them. get to them later. Yeah, grand finale. I, I sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go on to the Vikings and let's uh, you know let's let's start with the news cycle here. Let's go with the big move of the weekend: Yannick Ngakwe traded to the Vikings from the Jaguars. Uh, they'll give up a second-round pick and a second pick that'll fall between rounds three and five, depending on some stuff. But, uh, you know, Andy, you were, you were a little concerned about losing Everson Griffin here for this for this Vikings defense. They, they get younger, and it seems like they get better, right? Uh, yeah, perhaps I was concerned about Griffin because Minnesota's lost a lot of defensive starters and their whole thing on defense has been the continuity and that's why they've been a top five defense for most of the last several years, I'd say. And that's not the case anymore. I thought of all the guys they lost, uh, the back end guys, the corners, we can get to that in a second, but I thought the only real major loss this offseason for them was Everson Griffin at defensive end. And maybe he wasn't quite what he was a few years ago, but that doesn't that doesn't mean he was not still a borderline elite all-around player for them. And they don't have the greatest depth along their D-line. You need edge rushers in the NFL. Griffin's gone. There goes his bull rush. But now you have Yannick Ngakwe, who's a different type of rusher, more of an, an agility guy. But we're we're replacing good with great almost here as an edge rushing sense. Yeah, and and let's talk about that secondary a little bit. Uh, obviously, having a great pass rush does take some of the uh, some of the burden off of your defensive backfield's uh, collective shoulders there. But uh, like you mentioned, I mean they they lost approximately ten thousand cornerbacks this off season. Uh, they're going to have some young guys in there. Uh, Mike Hughes is really the only semi-established guy they bring mm-hmm. back, and then you got a got a lot of rookies. You got Holton Hill, a young guy. Uh, my question to you, Andy, is. How difficult is this Mike Zimmer system for a young cornerback, for a rookie cornerback? Because, I mean, look, we've seen in the past, Zimmer is not crazy about leaning on rookies in his defensive backfield. He's not. His method has very often been to develop those guys from the bench. And we'll see if it pays off now because they're really counting on Mike Hughes to be their top corner. And that's a guy they've developed primarily from the bench. Hughes did get a lot more playing time last season. Um what makes it challenging for a corner in this scheme, the Vikings are a two-deep safety defense. But usually when you say that, you mean cover two as their foundation. And Minnesota will play that at times if they're protecting a lead. But really what they're known for is playing cover four. So the safeties, instead of being rolled over the top of cornerbacks, are now right inside of the corner. So the back four defenders each have a fourth of the field. The safeties have the two inner fourths. The corners have the outside fourths. And you play matchup zone within it. Whoever comes into year one fourth area, you match up to him. And offenses create route combinations that will challenge and stress your rules there. So you have to all be on the same page to do it correctly. I do think the safeties are burdened a little bit more than the corners by the scheme. It's a little more is asked of them. But you're, you're still ultimately needing all four of those guys to do their job, of course. And the real challenge is what happens when the guy I have initially goes inside. If I'm the cornerback and my guy runs a route but disappears inside, who's coming at me from the outside and how do we pass that off? That's the stuff that has to be developed with chemistry and, and awareness and field vision. And it's hard to ask rookies 
keys to do that. The other thing is those those techniques when a guy is in your area and in your one-fourth of the field, you're basically playing man-to-man. You're a man-to-man defender. So these rookies are stepping into a situation. Now, Jeff Gladney, who might become their slot guy at some point, but Cameron Dantzler, their third-round rookie, they're going to be forced to play man-to-man at a high level, man-to-man technique, and they're also going to have to read and react out of zone match principles at the same time, much of the snaps. That's a lot to ask of those guys. The saving grace is that the underneath defenders in this scheme, Gary, mainly Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr as well, but mainly Eric Kendricks, they're about as good as they come in underneath pass coverage. Yeah, I was going to say good pass rush, good uh, good linebackers, good safeties takes a takes a lot of uh pressure off the cornerbacks there. I guess the other thing is that I mean, the Vikings cornerback play wasn't particularly good a year ago Correct. anyway. Yeah, you're getting rid Xavier Rhodes maybe knew the scheme better than the rookie will, although there I think there were cases where you wondered that at times last Rhodes did not have a good season. Mm-hmm. Trey Wayne's knew the scheme better. If the Vikings loved Rhodes or Waynes or McKenzie Alexander, those guys would all still be here. So that's the important thing to remember is the reason they're replacing guys is because they felt that they had to get better at that spot. Uh, Offensive side of the ball, I I know we're getting ahead of ourselves by probably a year at this point, but Dalvin Cook, uh, how valuable is he to this offense? Is is he in a way replaceable if they if they have to lean on Alexander Madison? Uh, I mean, let, look, let's just point out the fact that Dalvin Cook has missed time uh, so far over his career. Probably uh, they can expect him to miss a little more time this year. Uh, are are they okay without him? Do they have to change anything without him? Um, no, I don't think so. He's a good player. I mean, he he, he looks like an agility runner because he's fast and he has these quick, choppy steps. But his contact balance is also very good. He breaks a lot of tackles within the context of the run. So you don't just find another guy who can do that very readily. Having said that, it's it still starts with the blocking in that scheme. The outside zone scheme, that's what it's all about. So they can continue to play the way they've always played without Dalvin Cook. Uh, they just might not be quite as effective there once you hand the ball to the guy. And then we're discussing the value of that and what does that mean exactly. But you and I have talked a lot, Gary. We we often feel the value of a player really is if you take him off the field, does it impact the way you have to approach the game? Mm-hmm. And for Minnesota, the answer with Dalvin Cook is no. And, and of course, Kevin Stefanski out uh, Gary Kubiak in this year. Uh, do, do you expect any big changes with his offense here? It'll still start with the run game, which I think is the way you have to play with Kirk Cousins. Cousins is is can be highly effective and play at a very high level when that run game's jiving with the passing game. So it's play action. It's all the things we talk about all the time. The one difference with Kubiak and Stefanski, you know, Stefanski's so flexible that it's hard to know if his play calling last year was about his own philosophy or about appeasing and not appeasing but playing to what your head coach who's a defensive-minded guy playing to what he wants to do which is what a good coordinator does um Kubiak will probably not be given as narrow of a path in play calling as Stefanski was I'm sure Zimmer trusts Kubiak just because they're same generation Kubiak's a Super Bowl winning head coach in his past so It'll be up to Kubiak to do what he wants to do, and I think one difference we might see, these guys at Football Outsiders pointed this out, Kubiak on first and down is not quite as run-oriented as people like like me would guess, people that know he's an outside zone coach, play-action game, we usually think run game first with those guys. And Kubiak is a little more willing to integrate his passing game on early downs than what the Vikings were, what the Vikings did a year ago. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now 
What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. And with that, we move on to the Chicago Bears, last year's third place finisher in this division. Uh, it was year one for Chuck Pagano, who uh, replaced Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, this defense went from leading the league in takeaways to uh, they were down uh, middle of the pack. They were like 22nd with 18. Uh, is is that... Is that a matter of of the scheme? Were they doing something different schematically that would make you think like, okay, they're just going to get fewer takeaways? Is it complete luck uh, in this case? And uh, I, I guess the even better question for you is, what was different about the defense last year? Well, the the biggest thing that's different is Pagano believes in bringing extra guys in the pass rush more than Fangio does. Fangio would blitz a linebacker, but he'd drop an edge defender or someone. Usually it was the edge guy. He would drop that guy back into coverage, so you're still only rushing four. You're just It's called a simulated pressure when you do that, or some used to call it a zone exchange. You're rushing four, but it's not quite the four you expected. Pagano's going to rush five. He is going to bring that extra guy. Uh, a lot of times it when he did, he didn't do it every week, but there were games where he committed to that approach, and a lot of times it worked, and the guy that was the, the blitzer for him was Buster Screen, who was very effective out of the slot, or especially early in the season as a blitzer. Um, they'll bring linebackers, of course. You'll bring any of those second-level type defenders, but that's the difference with Pagano. The other thing is, is Fangio's system has more eyes on the quarterback naturally. There's two safeties back deep. They're kind of moving around in blurry ways. Some of the rules we talked about, matchup zone is what the Vikings are. That's very much what the Bears have been under Fangio, and it's very much what the what the Bears are now under Pagano, but the matchup rules can be a little bit different. Fangio will do some things backwards or flip-flopped, and he'll play the coverage almost the opposite way that you would expect. And he'll put a lot of pressure on his safeties to to help with that, which is why Justin Simmons, by the way, has become so valuable in Denver now with Fangio there. Mm -hmm. Um, Pagano's going to be a little more straightforward in some of their matchup zones. He's going to trust his one-on-one coverage more. So the concern we had last year is is do they have corners who are good enough to play one-on-one outside? I think Kendall Fuller's an easy yes. He's more of a zone corner than man corner, but he's a top 10 player at his position. So he's fine. You can match him up. Prince of Mukamara was the concern, and he's not here anymore. So obviously they've made an adjustment right there. And now it's Jalen Johnson, the second round pick, and we'll see what he can do. All right. Offensively, look, we know they have huge question marks at quarterback. I guess my question is, and and look, obviously, Mr. Trubisky struggled badly last year and and sort of earned his negative headlines. But um, 
I mean, their run game was non-existent. They they were uh, they were bottom five in terms of yards per carry. Uh, when you look at this offense, I mean, is there any way you can sort of establish a a, a, a run first, run heavy offense here, or do they just not have the personnel capable of doing that? That's that's a tougher one because uh, you know their offensive line. It's it's not a line that's just going to plow you over on a regular basis. It's, 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 it's an okay offensive line. So can, now maybe you manufacture some stuff with your running game, but really the teams that, that manufacture running game, your scheme, I mean, but the teams that, that do that, you know, we see the jet sweeps and all that. The bears really don't do that as much as people would guess. They, they do early in games. And so it, it feel their scripted plays will have jet sweeps and misdirection and all the bells and whistles. And Matt Nagy obviously knows how to do those things. He came from Kansas city and they were very innovative there when he was with the chiefs, but that's really in, in the big picture. That's not how the bears play. And maybe that's a function of trying to make the quarterback more comfortable. I don't know the answer to that, but I, what you're asking, Gary, I feel like is, are they good enough to line up and just run the ball down your throat if they need to? Because if you're going to try to manufacture a run game schematically and you're not doing it through jet sweeps and all that kind of stuff, then the other thing you'd be doing is having two backs in the backfield. You need two guys who can move the gaps or add blocking gaps after the snap. They don't play that style of football. They're not the Ravens or the Shanahan 49ers. They're mostly a one-back offense. Now they'll go two tight ends, and you can use that second tight end that way. But we'll we'll, we'll you know we'll see if they do. Who's the move tight end is what I'd want to know. Who who's the Nick Boyle guy that can go in motion and play north and south as well? Is that I mean is Cole Komet that kind of blocker? What I what I understood Cole Komet, their second round pick out of Notre Dame to be, is kind of a, a version of Kyle Rudolph, a very traditional inline type of tight end. Yeah, you could. Uh... You can maybe use him in that role. 262 is his listed weight. Yeah. What's Nick Boyle's listed weight for Baltimore? Not that, I mean, he's listed weights. You know, who who knows if these guys really weigh this, but I bet Boyle's not 262. I'm going to say Nick, Nick well, Boyle. 270, I'm wrong. Nick Boyle does it. So yeah. you think Cole Komet right. could be the move guy maybe. Boy, Boyle weighs a lot more than I would have guessed. I'm more impressed with Nick Boyle now than I uh <laughs> was 20 <laughs> seconds ago he does not play like a 270 pounder at all i mean cole commits he's an athlete he can move uh you could maybe put him in that role because you're either, it would be so if, if you're going to play like that you have to have two tight ends on the field because we're talking yeah. this guy's basically like the h back oh they got so, tight ends they do have tight ends. They have Demetrius Harris. You know, but they have a lot. But who's the guy that plays? I mean, they have Demetrius Harris, who's a good quality tight end. And they have Jimmy Graham, who I think can still contribute and contribute at a high level at times even. So by my count, they have three tight ends, probably four, with J.P. Holtz, who got on the field some last year. I know Jesper Horstead did as an undrafted rookie. But they had eight or ten or whatever it was at the draft, and so the narrative is now they have a ton of tight ends. Well, they got rid of some of those guys, and they're not going to have eight or ten once the season starts. They're going to have three, maybe four, and they're going to play two of them at a time most of the time. Okay. That's no fun. Let's go on to the Lions. You know, to be perfectly honest, Gary, we're talking in circles a little bit about the Bears because we don't know what they have at the quarterback, and that's the way this offense has looked. Yeah. That's I mean, because I mean, you ask what their scheme is, and I give you all kinds of answers. I do the tight ends. What can they do? We don't know what the quarterback is, and so their identity is unstable right now. Correct. Correct. Uh, what's your what's your gut feeling? Who's going to be who wins uh, the competition? Yeah. Well, is it who wins the competition or who ultimately plays the most games? Uh, both. Like who week answer. one starter? Yeah, answer both of them. Oh. Stylistically, Trubisky, if, if, if what I want to know is why he didn't use his legs more last year. Yeah, and if there was a specific reason for that, he had because he had he had the shoulder injury early in the season, and that might yeah. have changed up some of their plans. Uh, I mean, look, they probably also were just hoping he would 
he would develop as a passer. Uh, you know, but that's and, the kind of passer he is, though. He's his yeah. value as a passer is is an on the move thrower. His field vision out of the pocket. I thought he would look that way at North Carolina at times. Not that the sample size was big enough to declare. Mitch Trubisky, it, it, the legs are part of the equation. That's why he was drafted in the first round. That's that's why you want him. So if you don't have his legs in the equation then I think the guy's Nick Foles. If Trubisky's legs are part of the equation, then we're back to talking through it and deciding what Trubisky can be. And I think you got to be running read option type stuff with him, making the defense have to at least defend Trubisky to help your running game because it's not a running game that's just going to run over people by itself. And you got to do bootlegs and, and rollouts. And, and, and you do have to have those bells and whistles that we saw from Nagy a little bit early but not as much last year. If if you're not going to play that way, and you want to be more traditional, then it's Nick Foles. Yeah, I mean it, it, Nagy was not there when they drafted Trubisky, so it's it it hasn't been a a seamless. Uh, yeah, that's a know, fair point. Uh, unification of coach and quarterback here. Uh, let's go to the Lions. Uh, the the 2020 NFC North champion Detroit Lions. So Matthew Stafford, first half of last season was. Uh, one of the best quarterbacks in football, if not the best. Uh, what were the differences in the offense he ran for Daryl Bevel as opposed to what he had run all those years for Jim Bob Cooter? Well, the, the very obvious one was the deep balls. He, he was basically, the they threw deep more than any team in the NFL under Daryl Bevel last year. And before that, under Jim Bob Cooter, they didn't. They were, they were much more of a volume, quick strike type of offense. So Stafford is built to throw the ball deep he has that toughness in the pocket the arm is is outstanding and he puts it together and he can attack any part of the field and I think there's a fearlessness to some of his decision making in fact we know there is because remember you almost forget about this remember early in his career the issue was who can rein him in he was he was an aggressive quarterback like that Um, Jim Bob Cooter to his credit tweaked this system in a way that did rein Matthew Stafford in, and Stafford evolved and matured into a higher-level QB, and now that's what Daryl Bevel has inherited, and so that's a big part of it. Um, the Lions did a lot of what the Rams will do in terms of formationing. There was a lot of minus splits last season where everybody's lined up tight inside. I love that style of playing. It's a great way to play. It puts a lot of stress on defenses, especially if defenses want to go man-to-man. Um we just talked about those rules and matchup zones and how everybody has to read it the same way. It's much harder to read two receivers as matchup zone defenders if those two receivers are right next to each other because they could both go in either way. So one could become the other and vice versa. It's easier to tell what they're doing if they're spread out. So I like the offense that they, they run with Bevel conceptually. The two things they need to do, and it's been true for 20-something years now, they have to run the ball better, and that's part of the reason they hired Bevel. And I don't know why T.J. Hawkinson wasn't featured more last season in the passing game. That's I'd like to see that be adjusted. All right. Bullish on the offense? Bullish as I am on the offense? I'm pretty bullish. Who's uh, you know, the depth at wide receiver? You wonder who the number three guy is if they're without one of their starters. Marvin Jones becomes unavailable or Danny Amendola goes down. Um, but... Yeah, I'm bullish on the offense. I feel like I've been bullish on the offense for a while now. And part of it is because I'm bullish on Matthew Stafford because he's just the style of quarterback that I, you know, it's, it's who teaches you the game a little bit. And the people that I learned the game from originally was, was the NFL Films guys. So Ron Jaworski and Greg Cosell and those guys. And it was in the early 2010s. And and their philosophy is, is big, strong pocket passers. Their philosophy has evolved, and so has mine. But, you know, there's a part of me that's always going to love the big, strong arm pocket passer. Matthew Stafford is that style of quarterback. So I got the Stafford crush still, even though I fully acknowledge Russell Wilson has surpassed him now. All right. I don't just fully even, acknowledge even, that. I'll, I'll shout that one from the mountaintops. Even when, uh, even when Stafford wins MVP this year? Yeah, no, that's going to suck for me. for me, isn't it? That's going to be terrible. <laughs> the one I, I finally come out and outright say it the other way around, and and now Stafford's going to win MVP, like you just said. I didn't know he was winning MVP until a second ago. Yeah, I should have I, I should have started the show with that instead of my usual ramblings. Uh, so Matt Patricia's defense, 
when he was in New England, they generated pressure despite the lack of of top end pressure. I mean, they, they had good they had good pieces, Kyle Van Noy uh, types. I mean, they, they had guys who could rush the passer, but they didn't have any. You know, this wasn't uh, Khalil Mack and JJ Watt lining up. Uh, it, I don't know. It, it seems like similar talent. In the, I mean, in some cases, literally similar talent. Trey Flowers was their their big money investment last year. Uh, I mean, why is this? Why is this not working? They, their pass rush was just completely non-existent last year. Yeah, and this year the guy they signed was Jamie Collins, another former Patriot, to contribute. Um, all right, let's under, so let's start on the back end because this was true in New England. It's true with the current Patriots as well. The philosophy is centered around man-to-man coverage with two free man defenders. So one safety back deep and then another one in the intermediate parts of the field. And that's what the system does really well. Belichick coaches it well. Patricia, I I think, also coaches it well. They'll take that second safety and place him in a spot where they feel that your routes are most likely to go. So instead of the safety lining up in in a... a standard position they they usually put him on the weak side and assume that you're going to run some kind of crossing routes and so we're going to double your crossing routes from the back side and the man-to-man defenders all play to that if you watch the lions those corners often are trailing or or on the low hip of the receiver they're guarding they're they're kind Mm -hmm. of running tailgating them almost not all the way but that's they're playing to the angles of their help so that's the philosophy when you have that kind of scheme for one, you know, you're going to get more coverage sacks is, is the point. Not They might, might not be pure coverage sacks, but the, it starts with the coverage and then the pass rush comes in second. And you can tell that they understand that because what New England does and what Detroit they do with their pass rush, it's highly schemed and it's a lot of slower developing stunts. These pass rushers square up the blocker in front of them. They take one or two steps in. They get on different levels where I've, I take two steps in. The guy next to me rushing the passer takes one step in. And then we crisscross and overlap and create lanes to go after the quarterback. Make the, the offensive line have to pass us off and adjust to us late. And it's very well schemed. And you have guys who are good technicians. It can look very good. That's why Kyle Van Noy is a very effective player in this system. I don't know what his sack numbers are. I'm sure he's not getting double digits every year. But he fits the approach really well stylistically. They're hoping Jamie Collins can be that kind of guy for them. And they obviously feel Trey Flowers is. So that's the philosophy. The problem is you can't have nothing in the pass rush and, and make it work. It, it has to get home. And last year there wasn't they, they didn't get home often enough. And then really the bigger problem though is they weren't quite sound enough across the board in man coverage to, to play the way they wanted to play. Even though they've got safety help everywhere, you still need high level corners to do this. Their corners just weren't quite at that level last year. They, they didn't perform consistently in that way. Yeah. Darius Slay out, but Jeff Okuda in the number three overall pick in the draft. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Uh, but man, I don't know. I, I was all I was all set for this team to win a wild card spot last year, and uh, they were three, four, and one when Stafford went down. But one of those losses was that uh, sort of you know questionably officiated game at Lambeau Field on a Monday night. Uh, they had that when they lost to the Chiefs. It was not only Mahomes' comeback, uh, countering a Stafford comeback. It was a game in which Carryon Johnson fumbled going into the end zone for what would have been a, a, a fourth quarter touchdown and. Uh, or sorry, third quarter touchdown, but uh, he not only fumbled going in the end zone, no one realized he fumbled until Bashad Breeland picked up the ball five yards deep in the end zone and ran it back 105 yards for a touchdown. And uh, I mean, that's a that's a game they should have won. Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that was well, why. Was- I did. Now, now I'm just relitigating the Lions 2019 season to explain why they should have gone 16 and 0. Well, and, and, and they, you know, they blew a lot of games late that they should have won, too. Yeah. They had leads. They couldn't hold on to the leads, which gets back a little bit to your running game. Not completely, but it gets you know a little bit to that. A, a lot of little important things that just all met in the wrong way for them, and they went 3-12-1. I don't, I don't, they did not look like a 3-12-1 team all season. They didn't necessarily look like a playoff team either. 
but they're not as bad. They're not bad like a three, twelve, and one suggests. And I commend ownership and management for understanding that and sticking with this approach with Patricia, because um, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with this team. And there's two other guys we ought to mention. Jelani Tavai has a chance to be a very solid player for them. He fits exactly how they want to play stylistically. And he'll be that edge kind of linebacker. Times he can play off the ball. I think he'll be up more on the line of scrimmage ultimately. So with him and Jamie Collins, that that changes a lot of what you do in base situations. They're now your edge guys, depending how you line up. You know, you never quite know how a team's going to line up anymore because of all the three receiver sets you get on first down. Um, the other guy to mention is Tracy Walker, who has the love the body type, and he actually. I thought outplayed Travis Kelsey last year when he had Kelsey for much of that game against Kansas City. Walker needs to be more consistent for sure, but he is his ups are very high up. So there's two, and then Jared Davis is the last one. I talk about him every year. He put on more weight. We'll see what that means. He's got to keep it on once the season starts. But what they figured out more importantly with Davis is he is. He's better as a pass rusher than as a pass defender. So they do these mm-hmm. delay blitzes with him. And if you think about what we just said, they have these slower developing pass rushes. That's their style. The, the delay blitzes can be very effective. And Davis is so fast and sudden in his movement that he, he can get home and get into his blitz before the offensive line has a chance to recognize what's going on there. He, he'll wait for a second and a half. I mean, he'll come almost to a standstill and wait. And then he hits the Jets. And he was a tremendous blitzer a lot of the time last season. So I said two guys, I think. That's three. There's a lot of reason for optimism <laughs> with this team. No, that's a, that's a great role for Davis. I he, I. I it I is because you don't have to think the game as much in that role. Yeah. I think Davis is more of an instinctive guy. Some guys, and it is, it's not at all a commentary on their intelligence. It's just a, a, it's their style of play and how their athleticism mm-hmm. translates once the ball is snapped. Some guys are better just playing and taking rather than reading and reacting and thinking the game through. Demario Davis, who was the first team All Pro last year, he's probably another one of those guys. And the Saints figured that out, and he, he now they use him similar to what we just discussed for Davis you got to fit your players strengths the problem is uh in in this kind of scheme you know it's if Davis were playing in the Colts system for example where it's built on speed that'd be an excellent fit and this kind of scheme where it is a little bit of a slower developing approach defensively keep it in front of you play to your leverage play to your help that does demand a lot of think the game style of players, which is why the Patriots always have big guys instead of fast guys. So Davis is not an ideal scheme fit, but the Lions are smart coaches. Matt Patricia is a smart coach. He understands you still got a very talented player here. Let's figure out what we can do with them because there aren't very many guys that can run like Jared Davis runs. Yeah, now he's such an athlete. I thought he would always, uh, you know, at, at some point he'd figure out in coverage and and he'd be all right there, and it just never looked. He's just he's he's better he's he's better proactive than reactive. They do need to find a cover. Yes, I agree. That's well said. They do need to find a cover guy and linebacker because one other problem they had they didn't have the cover linebacker, and there were times where Christian Jones got cast into that position, and that was every offense's favorite day. Christian Jones yeah. is a fine player, but teams were going after him with vertical routes from their running backs week in and week out. So they do, at some point, you have to find someone who can cover running backs man-to-man, and that becomes a little bit of an issue on on first and second down, more than third down. Yeah, I think the Lions are going to be our new Bills. That's going to be the team we're going to talk about for uh, 45 minutes every show this year. Well, I just did that. I mean, I'm the one that just turned it on right there. That's all right. I, I can I can share, I can share the time. It's just gonna be a Lions slash Bills podcast is what what we're doing going forward. Well, and in uh, Ralph Wilson's family, I'm sure would love that. <laughs> let's uh, let's go to the projections for the NFC North. You got to go first, though. Why do I have to go first? Uh, I just want to say something different than you. Okay. Um, so give me give you're me order think I'm making a, you, you thinking I'm making a joke here I'm going one Lions yeah two yeah two Packers three Vikings four Bears and all of them are nine and seven to seven and nine <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll go. I'm going one Packers. I, I've come around on the Packers. I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, one other thing about the Packers, which we didn't get into, and I know you don't like delving too deep into red zone stuff, but they were uh, well, red zone. I, Okay, make your point. I'm gonna. I got something okay. to share in that and, red zone note, and, and then you got to then you got to defend yourself because I just uh, offended your honor on the red zone stuff. But uh, it is very tough to consistently be good in the red zone. It's small sample sizes. Uh, they were top five red zone offense and red zone defense last year in terms of points per game. Uh, I believe they were actually outgained on the season overall, which uh, again, not not a huge deal, but. Uh, I'm more worried. I don't think that red zone performance can can be duplicated again. And uh, you know, if if you take that away, uh, you're probably looking at a team that was more like a ten or eleven win team a year ago. Okay, that's very fair. Um, to make your point, by the way, the Steelers were number one in the red zone in 2018. Excuse me, in 2019. Let me back that up. Their offense was number one in 2018, and they went to number 32 in 2019. They also lost their quarterback. I know. I'm just saying. It's, I, come on. That's a, that's the most extreme stat that can be offered yes. to support your point. True. True. What else yeah. would you want? Well, I thought you were going to be upset that I that I uh, said you don't like breaking down red zone stuff. Well, I do think it. I, I agree with you. You know, coaches. I I, tr- I I'm afraid to say it to be honest because coaches talk about red zone all the time. Got to win in the red zone. Um, but I do. I don't think it translates from year to year as much and i did have so cody i had cody swartz one of our guys who was in on that film session i was uh promoting at the front of the show uh i had him look into all the red zone stuff to see how it translates to winning and losing and the long story short it is not at all like uh you know if you're great in the red zone you are not at all guaranteed to be a winning team but it's a much greater chance that you will be so there is red zone efficiency there's definitely a correlation to winning, but the one that has slightly more correlation, which I was, that's why I wanted Cody to do this study, is red zone frequency. So, in other words, getting to the red zone often, which if yeah. you think about that, makes all the sense in the world. Um, so, red zone efficiency does matter for wins and losses, of course. Red zone frequency matters just a tiny bit more. I would say both of them mattered more than I would have guessed before I had Cody do the study. Okay. All right. Yeah, there was a boy. There was uh, I, I pulled this. Let me just bring out. Let me see if I can find the Saints. The Saints had some ridiculous thing where they were like first, then second, then 29th, then third, then 27th. Uh, and they, they were all Drew Brees years. Um, uh, Seahawks five year run from 2014 to 18. They were in red zone offense seventh, then 16th, then 26th. Then twelfth, then sixteenth. It's just it's it's all over the place. So uh, it is very difficult to duplicate it year in year out, and uh, that's that's kind of the point I was making with the Packers. Who and now I'm just contradicting myself because I also just picked the Packers to uh, run away with the NFC North. And, where, where, where did Green Bay? Fit? I, I you said it, but for some reason I must not have been loud to what I was thinking about. I guess I wasn't listening. But where did they rank in the red zone exactly? So they were they were top five on both sides of the ball. So they uh-huh. were they were top five offense, top five defense, and uh, you know same goes for defense. It's it's just. Uh, uh, it's difficult to duplicate that year in and year out. So they were they were net red zone, if you want to call it that. It's not really net, but sort of combined offense, defense, red zone. Uh, the Packers were by far number one last year, which, again, it's going to be difficult to do that again. Well, I'll, so two things on that. One is Aaron Rodgers is a tremendous red zone QB, and his, his number one receiver has often led the league in touchdowns because of that. Jordy Nelson used to have a bunch. Devontae Adams gets a bunch. He, he's very good in the red zone. That ability to extend plays and then sling the ball through tight windows and the type of field vision he has is conducive to that. You'd think Russell Wilson would be great in the red zone for similar reasons, but Wilson's a little bit of a different style of thrower than Rod. Wilson's beauty comes on vertical throws more than than zipping it through tight windows right in front of him. And obviously you don't have vertical throws in the red zone. Um, Green Bay's defense, I hated watching their red zone defense because what they would do is drop eight into coverage and play this kind of cover three slash man-to-man look, and I can never figure out what the coverage is. And it doesn't make a huge difference. The matchups are the same, except it does kind of make a difference because 
the quarterback and everybody else, they need to know what the coverage is. So I'm not surprised they're a top five red zone defense because they do some stuff in the red zone that they don't do in other spots on the field, and they did it very, very well last year. Do you know who was by far the uh, – and, yes, the Steelers were the worst offense. And, by the way, I should mention, I'm going by points per red zone possession as opposed to, like, touchdown percentage or something like that because it, it makes a difference. Did you kick a you field know, goal like or that. did you turn it over? Yeah. That makes – that's – you know, that why does – that's I, – I, I had not thought of that. Because red mean, zone it, is ranked by touchdown frequency, as I understand it. Yeah, it it tells you a little more about the offense, just purely the offense. If, if you're talking about, uh, you know, did they score a touchdown or not? Because if the kicker comes in and misses, uh, you know, that that's a uh, that's a whole other deal. But uh, I always go by points per possession when I'm sort of trying to figure out who maybe uh, who maybe is going to have a more difficult time sustaining their their success there. But do you know who was? <laughs> Hold on, was, hold on, yeah, hold on, yeah. hold on. Go, go, go. I, I have now decided I don't like the stat quite as much because I just realized that the kicker misses and that punishes the offense. Yes. But the offense didn't miss the kick, the kicker missed the kick. So, yeah, I mean, I, and obviously you don't have a ton of missed field goals from uh, from that close. You know, the, the, it's it's basically thirty seven yards and in at that point. But right, of um, course. So, but it's it's basically your stat takes away the turnovers, but then also weights the touchdowns. Do they get seven? Do they count it as seven or six points for a touchdown? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and by the that's way, it's an important it's, question. It's it's not my stat. I just I pull it from somewhere else. I pull it from Stats Inc. and and just drop it into a spreadsheet. So uh, that is that is a uh, that is a legitimate question. I'll have to check early next season and see if they're uh, including the PATs slash two point conversions. But uh, my my question to you, my trivia question: Do you know who is by far by far the worst combined offense defense red zone performance in 2019 all right give me a second here let me i'm gonna uh and it's not pittsburgh Pittsburgh was the worst offensively but they were they were uh above average defensively so they were 25th so by far the worst red zone offense and defense in 2019 um Oh, I feel like I'd just be guessing. Give me a. This is not great podcast. I understand that. That's okay. Miami. They were down there for most of the year, but they uh, they made a comeback. They got up to twenty seventh. Okay. It was. I don't think you'll guess it because I I don't know why this team was so bad. But uh, the Raiders, by by again a wide margin, were the really? worst. Uh, red zone offense plus defense performance last year. Yeah, well, they, they were. They uh, did have a couple turnovers in the red zone. I remember they had a bad one at Kansas City where they threw a fade and Tyrell Williams didn't run the route Carr expected or something, and Carr didn't love that. I mean, I, I, you know that doesn't shock me as much as you would as much as I would have guessed. Okay. Yeah, they were twenty sixth in offense, and they were. Oh boy. Where are they in defense? 31st in defense. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, so we talked about what makes Aaron Rodgers great in the red zone and the gunslinger mentality, play extending, tight window thrower. And people who follow the NFL closely know that that Derek Carr gets the ball out quicker than just about any QB in the NFL, and he throws shorter than most people, which is, you know, he's not that. He's not a gunslinging tight window thrower, stylistically. Although I've seen Carr make some tremendous red zone throws before. Yeah. Carr no, is he... very good on the seam balls in the red area. Yep. And those seam balls are the only balls you throw vertically that still come out quickly, if you think about it. All right. So we might have we might have uh, figured out why the Raiders were no good in the red zone last year. Uh, and just to, just to recap real quick, because we started these projections about uh, 20 minutes ago, uh, Andy went Lions-Packers, I went Packers-Lions, and uh, we both went Vikings and then Bears to finish up this this division. And uh, they all go 9-7, and 8-8, eight and eight, or 7-9. and nine. Uh, MVP, I, I already picked Stafford as my MVP. <laughs> I picked him second, and now Stafford's winning MVP. Okay. Um... I, I I don't know. I guess do I go Rodgers in since you took Stafford? Do you think Rodgers is uh is is MVP uh caliber at this point in his career? Not if I'm not if I'm picking them to go nine and seven, but um 
I, you know, I'll be honest. I like this MVP discussion more for discuss, going over the guys that could maybe like the Mitch Morse answer a few weeks ago on MVP to me was the most interesting <laughs> part of this whole segment yep. all year long because otherwise we're just guessing which quarterback's going to have the biggest numbers. Okay, who do who do you have then? Who's your Mitch Morse of the NFC North? Um Well, I'm sure this is happening because my mind just went to centers, so it's not necessarily the answer to my question, but I think after going back through my Vikings notes, Garrett Bradbury has a chance to be viewed as a top five center very soon. Okay. It's a good one. He's not going to get the attention. He, you know, it's not going to, he's not going to get MVP, but Mitch Morse would neither, of course. But um, see, I, I think it's more interesting to make a point about Gary Bradbury's role. He's, he needs to get stronger in a phone booth, but he is phenomenal out in space and on the move, which is what they knew. That's why they drafted him first round for his zone scheme. They were not the only team that wanted him in the first round that runs a zone offense. So, you know, let's use this time to make mention of Garrett Bradbury instead. Defensive player of the year, besides Khalil Mack, anyone? Um, I mean, you know, Zadarius Smith, he did get snubbed. I, I don't love the putting the snub jersey on under your regular jersey and flashing it on camera very often. It's fine once or twice, I guess. <laughs> but his his shirt that he showed that night, who were they playing? I forget who they were playing, but he helped. Remember, he got the sack or something and that held the up Vikings? his shirt. Is that the Vikings game? Yeah, I want to say it's the Vikings game. Um, but normally I don't love that stuff, but he was so right and correct with it that I, I, I tip my cap. So Zadarius Smith deserves to be in the conversation. He didn't. I don't, he, I don't think he even made the Pro Bowl last year, did he? He certainly didn't get all pro, and he deserved he deserved all the consideration. He was in that he was in that discussion. Uh, he uh, I, I he must have made the Pro Bowl, right? Yeah, he made the Pro Bowl. Did he actually make it, or did like eleven guys decide to stay home and then he made it? And... Isn't that how they always do it? Shouldn't that blows they... my you know. So I, my mind it blows my mind when you see contracts with incentives tied to the Pro Bowl because I always want to yeah. know which Pro Bowl. There's like eight of them anymore. There's eight Pro Bowl teams. The first one they announce, the one they announce when they all the Super Bowl guys leave, and then the one they announce when everybody else drops out. Yeah, so I guess that'd be three. Three's no, you're right. Still. He he was. Uh, um... He was added to the roster. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's not a Pro Bowler then. They should it, just it, they should just name like 150 Pro Bowlers and just just no, the name roster. the not Pro Bowlers anymore. Announce the guys who don't <laughs> don't have would, a chance to that get that would to be go. A, that would be a great announcement. Just <laughs> here are the, here are the 12 worst players in the NFL this year. Do not honor them in any way. Zadarius Smith is in the conversation. Mac obviously is the front runner. Mac needs to play better. He did not have his best season last season, and he he has said that. But he he was quiet for long stretches at times. Now that's by his standards. That's not by regular player standards. Um, Jari Alexander is going to be worth considering too. Okay, I I like that Jari Alexander one. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do. Not in this show because this has gone on for far too long how long uh, are we uh no we're okay it's a rate, nah, it, hour it was it was no afc east show but uh yeah hour for this one uh we have the last monday show before the season starts coming up next week and then we'll we'll uh preview that opener and we will also have some talk i don't know i'll, I'll make andy pick a super bowl winner or something like that maybe we'll just pick the uh <laughs> maybe we'll just pick a lions bills super bowl to justify uh, the, the the split in these uh, in these outlines coming up this season, I hadn't even thought about Super Bowl. Like that's the first I've thought about picking a Super Bowl winner right there. So I'd forgotten about that's something that you'd talk about. All right, we'll start at Lions Bills and then work backwards. See if you can find a reason it won't be a Lions Bills Super Bowl <laughs> in Tampa. All right, Andy, that'll do it for now. Okay, thanks, Gary. The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is me, Gary Gramling. Special thanks to Andy Benoit for joining me this week. We are produced by Shelby Royston, SI's executive producer of podcasts, is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Keep up with our entire lineup of podcasts five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, 
please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts